Do you consider yourself unworthy of eternal life? I'm going to tell you that's a trick question. And as we're going to look at it here in Acts chapter 13, you might be surprised at how the Apostle Paul presents that very idea and presents that very question. But before we look at that concept as the Apostle Paul proclaims it, uh, we're entering into a new section in the book of Acts. Uh, it's a section that if you've grown up in the pews, you were taught that this is when you break out your map and try to find all of these cities and start drawing Paul's journeys all over the place with all these different colors. And, and obviously the point of chapters 13 through 28 is not so that we would all now break out our maps in the back of our Bible and track him all over the place and see all these cities that we really don't care about and will never visit and we don't really matter. But clearly the point is to show the message that you see Paul and Barnabas and the others proclaiming as they go through these cities. A number of sermons are being preached over these next few chapters. And what we're going to spend our time doing is looking at the salvation message that they proclaim because it says a lot about God and the way that he presented the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And as we look at that in Acts chapter 13 this morning, we're going to notice a a really interesting way that Paul speaks about who God is and what God has accomplished for his people. And ultimately, I hope this will be an encouragement for us as we see what God has done for us and our standing before him. In Acts chapter 13, you have the, the beginning of it as the apostle Paul and Barnabas are set apart to go about proclaiming the gospel. And as they go about proclaiming this gospel to the world, they're going to go into various synagogues. And much of what we see in chapter 13 is them going into these locations in these various cities. And we're told like in verse five that they are proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues of of the Jews. And so they are preaching this message. Now, an interesting scene unfolds in this this first time as they're going about in these different cities is you will notice as they are proclaiming, uh, Paul encounters there in verse six, this magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and he is resisting and going against everything Paul is saying. You can imagine what that would look like as Paul is trying to say, here's the great gospel, and this guy stands up and goes, no, he's a liar, and we don't listen to him. And so notice what Paul says to him in verse 10. He says there, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. I just want you to think about what Paul says. As you hear is this person who is re- excuse me, resisting God, resisting Paul, resisting the message that's being proclaimed. And notice what he says. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, <laughs> will you not stop? 
making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now, why is this isolated for us? Why is this told to us? One of the things that I think is interesting to consider about what is said regarding this individual is that ultimately this is all humanity's problem, is making crooked the straight paths of God. It is a really interesting summary that he gives about what this picture looks like. Is that here's what you are doing. You are a son of the devil. You're against all righteousness. But think about the picture. You are taking the straight paths of God and you are making them crooked. And as I thought about that image, I thought, have you ever tried to draw a straight line? You know, not with lines on it or grids, no cheating. Just blank piece of paper, draw a straight line. You can think you're doing pretty good, right? Like, I can, I can draw a pretty straight line. And then you stick a ruler on it. And you go, uh, I wasn't as straight as I thought it was. I had to do that a lot with Grace and some of her homeschooling. We're having to draw, you know, like rays and lines and things like that and charting. And so, you know, I just draw a straight line. That's straight. And you pull the ruler out and go, oh, <laughs> That looks so good in isolation. Man, that looks straight. And then you stick the ruler on it and you go, that wasn't straight at all. It wasn't, it wasn't. So you get the eraser out and you're, okay, now we'll, now we'll draw the straight line according to the ruler. That's the imagery that Paul is giving here. You think that your understanding, you think that your ways are straight. They look straight to you. But what you don't realize is you're actually making the straight ways of God crooked. You think you've got the right line, you've got the right path, you've got the right direction. But it's not until you put the ruler down on it that you will finally see, oh, that's actually not straight at all. Now, if I never stuck the ruler down, I could tell you I am the perfect line drawer. I always draw straight lines. And it's not until you stick that ruler down, you go, I am nowhere near close. So what that line is like. I'm nowhere near it. But here's the problem. So as Paul is preaching what the straight line is, this person is trying to bend the ruler. You're taking the straight paths of God and bending it. And that's the imagery is that you come to the line and I have two choices. I can either erase my line and line it up to the ruler Or I've got a plastic ruler and I can contort it a little bit. I can try, you know, you don't give it too much, it'll break. But if you give it a little bit, you might be able to get a little bend in there, get a little wobble in there. You might be able to get it just right. And see, look, I did draw a straight line. Just bend the ruler a little bit. See, that's what Paul's saying. This is what we have the tendency to do. Our problem is our lines are not straight when it comes to God's law. But what we have the tendency to do is try to bend the ruler. And we go, no, no, my way is straight. Look, look how great it is. And you stick the ruler on and go, no, it's not straight. And what do we do? Well, hold on a minute. Let me see that ruler a second. Uh, Yes, see, it's all right. And it doesn't work. This is the imagery that that the Apostle Paul is giving to us is that when we attempt to resist or challenge what God is saying and is teaching, he doesn't say, oh, you know, that's a minor infraction. Did you, did you catch the emphasis there, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you full of villainy and deceit? 
When you resist the ways of God, when you come to his teachings and you try to bend the ruler, you're taking the straight paths of God and making them crooked. You're taking the ruler and you're trying to bend it to your will. And the miracle that happens here is intended to verify and emphasize ultimately this person's condition. You think about all the condemnations that could have happened to this Jewish sorcerer, this magician, as he's described there uh, in verse 8. But you will notice that verse 11 says he's going to be blind for a while. Now, here's the trick. We think when we're bending the ruler, we can see. And the Apostle Paul does something and says, no, here, I want you to see the result of what you're doing. When you take the straight paths of God and you make them crooked by resisting and trying to contort it and make God's will bend to your will and will make God conform to what I want. He does the image. You're blind. You're blind. You're not seen properly. You think your bent ruler is straight. Have you ever done that? You ever hold it up and go, hmm, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's straight anymore. Can't quite tell. Like drives me crazy when you do it off a picture frame. Picture frames look great when you're really close up on the wall hammering it. Then you back up 20 feet and you go, holy cow, I'm way off. <laughs> I'm totally missed it. You're blind up here. You can't see it. That's the image. Paul said, you can't see when you're taking God's law and you bend it, you shift it. You don't conform to what God says. You try to bend what God says to your will. So that's the first sermon he gives. First image that he's presenting is that this is the problem on our part is taking the straight paths of God and making them crooked. But we think we're straightening them. We think we're making them right and just when in essence we're destroying it. Now watch the next sermon that comes from that. As Paul and Barnabas continue preaching, or we're told in, in verse 13, they continue to go into these various cities. They end up in Antioch of Pisidia in verse 14. They go into the synagogues there. They're reading the law and the prophets, and they're asked if there is a, a, a word of encouragement that Paul and Barnabas would like to bring. When you read words of encouragement, that's usually synonymous for a sermon. And so that's exactly what Paul then does is he takes the opportunity to present this sermon. And as he goes about presenting his sermon, he starts describing the, the history of Israel, but not like you've seen in Acts. Sometimes we've gotten used to in the book of Acts when somebody starts preaching the history of Israel, it's like, and you guys rejected God and you've always rejected God. Remember, Stephen got stoned on that sermon of going, you have always been against God. Paul doesn't go that direction as he recounts Israel's history. Rather, the direction he goes is talking about the promises of God being fulfilled. You'll notice he says that in verse 22 about David, a man after God's own heart, who will do all my will. And of this, the man's, uh, this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. He does it again down in verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. The whole of the sermon is God is fulfilling promises. God has done exactly what he said. Everything that was promised to Israel, all of your hopes, everything that the past that the prophets were saying has come to pass in Jesus. 
which then leads to a two-point sermon. Go figure. Two-point lesson that the Apostle Paul makes. The first one is made there in verse 38. Notice verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let's start with that first point. First picture he gives is now through Jesus, forgiveness of sins. We've become accustomed to that in the book of Acts. The sermons are always proclaiming forgiveness. But I want you to notice the other picture. That God is setting you free from everything that enslaved you before. That God is setting you free from the things that even the law of Moses could not free you from. There is a freedom that is happening, an enslavement that is being released from in this imagery. And that's the picture of what Paul is doing is that as he proclaims the gospel and he says, as you listen to the ways of God, you are being set free. Now, do you catch the irony of this? Here's here's the irony of this. The irony is our culture tells us the way you're going to be set free is by not listening to God. That you are enslaved and shackled to the heritage of Christianity. And the more that we would ditch God, then you will be free. And you will do so much better in your life and everything will just be great. I want you to notice what Paul is saying. It's actually the reverse. The more you blaze your own trail, the more you go your own way, the more you try to follow your straight path that you think you're on, the more enslaving it is, the less freedom you enjoy. But when you come to Christ, you are set free. There is a freedom that exists. And I think that it doesn't take much for us to kind of look around and go, things are just way better now, right? I mean, the news is great every day. Things have gotten vastly improved over the last hundred years. We are crushing it in our culture. We're not being set free. We are becoming enslaved to more disaster and difficulty and problems. More and more issues are arising. And we try to think that God is the problem We're the problem. We're the issue. And this is one of the things that Paul is running around saying. But if you would come to Jesus, there would be forgiveness and there would be freedom. You could be set free from the foolish ways and from these disastrous life decisions that so often we throw ourselves at. That God is saying, I'm trying to help you through that. I'm trying to free you from that kind of thinking. And so he gives here a beautiful picture that he's come to free everyone who could not be freed before. But then notice in verse 40, there's a warning. And it's a very fascinating warning. Listen to the warning. Verse 40, beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. He says, we've been talking about fulfillment. We're talking about how what God says comes to pass. Now I want to give you a warning. Here's the good news. 
you can be forgiven and you can be set free. But watch out unless what the prophet said happens. And you go, well, what did the prophet say? Verse 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Did you catch that? He says, I want to give you this warning. I want you to make sure that you believe in something that is so amazing, it's unbelievable. That is what he just said. Verse 41. I'm going to do a work in your day, a work that you will not believe, even if someone told it to you. (laughs) Here's my illustration of that. I just recently came into a bunch of money and in all of your mailboxes back there. For each family, one million dollars is in an envelope in every mailbox. And all you need to do is believe me and get up and go get it. Matt almost went. (laughs) Then he goes, "Uh, why aren't you all running to the mailbox? Because it's too amazing to believe. Like, meh. Nah, that can't be. It's too ridiculous. It's too amazing. It's too, that can't happen. Now, by the way, How bad would you feel if it was really there and you didn't check? That's what he's saying right here is here is something so amazing. You can be set free. You can be forgiven. But here is the big warning. It is such an amazing offer that people have a tendency not to do it. It's that good. It's so good that you think, well, there's got to be a catch. That can't really be there. It's not, it's not back there. It can't be. But you're thinking about it. Maybe it is back. No, it's not. I did not come into any money. Even my parents. No, it will never happen. <laughs> but God is saying something amazing. I am giving you something so amazing that your default tendency is to believe that it doesn't, it's not going to happen. That it doesn't exist. Forgiveness of sins. Freedom in this life. Eternal life. Life with God. Blessings. It's so amazing that you can hear that message and go. That can't be real. And that's what he's saying in verse 40. Don't let what the prophet said happen to you. That God is offering something so amazing, so transforming for your life that you're going to have the tendency to ignore it. You're going to have the tendency not to believe it. You're going to think it's not real. You're going to question it. You're going to go, I don't really know about this. And here is God saying, I always fulfill my promises. And here is the offer made to you. Forgiveness, freedom of sins, life, joy, peace, happiness. God is offering it to you. And there's not strings attached. There's not going to be the rug pulled out from under you. It's that amazing. 
Don't question it. Don't challenge it. Don't take the ruler and try to bend it. Just submit your life to it and you will be able to enjoy it. That God is trying to tell us, I am giving you something that so often we would call it as too good to be true. It's that good. It's that great. It's that much for your life. This life isn't giving you what you're looking for, but God is trying to give it to you. And we look at it and go, that's too good to be true. It is too good, and yet it is still true. It's so amazing. He says there in verse 41, be astounded and perish because you're not going to believe it. Now, this causes quite a response. As verse 42 talks about, the people then beg for Paul and Barnabas to come back and say, we need to hear more lessons about this. This is fantastic. And what arises is the, the Jews of the city, as we're told there in verse 45, become jealous. And they start resisting and they start doing what we saw that sorcerer doing earlier. And they are pressing against the, the message of God and saying, this can't be. And they are trying to overthrow the teaching and overthrow the faith that is being developed. And I want you to listen to what Paul says. Look at verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside. Now, this is the phrase where I started this lesson at. And judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are going to the Gentiles. Did you notice what he said? He says, since you have taken God's message and thrust it aside, you've refused it. You're not willing to listen. You're doing exactly what the prophet said. You are scoffing and mocking. You are astounded, but you don't believe it. You don't believe it to be true. You set it aside. You're taking the ruler. You're trying to bend it. He says, here's what's happened. You have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. That was a statement that struck me. You have judged yourself. Not God. You. You have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. This is a phenomenal message. Because here is what God is saying. God is trying to tell the whole world. Because of my son, everyone is worthy of eternal life. Everyone. But when you don't listen, you decide for yourself you're unworthy. Here's God saying, I'm trying to forgive you. I'm trying to set you free. I'm trying to give you everything that your heart truly needs. I'm trying to give you true life. And then he turns and says, but you have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. And so at the very beginning, I asked, I told you a trick question. Are you worthy of eternal life? Because it's interesting how the Apostle Paul wants to frame that idea. Where the Apostle Paul is trying to say, when we decide that God's ways are not straight. 
and that our ways are straight, or we try to take his laws and we start bending it to our will and our think so's and our ways, what we are doing is saying, I'm unworthy of eternal life. We are saying, I don't want it. I'm not interested. Doing what God says, following that straight line, looking at that ruler, seeing how my line's not straight and trying to erase it and move it back on the line. I'm just, I just stuck it. We don't want to do that. Unworthy of eternal life. Or when we say that his offer's too unbelievable. Like he warned them, don't be like what the prophet said. But God said, I'm going to do something so astounding, so amazing that you're not going to believe it. If we decide that that offer is unbelievable, we are judging ourselves unworthy of eternal life. I want us to just get a sense of this final picture as Paul has presented this in a number of declarations that he is given throughout this chapter. You're appointed to eternal life. I don't know if we've always let that rest on us. Or maybe you've always heard it the other way around. You're appointed to wrath, doom, and gloom. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said. God did not appoint us to wrath. That's, I always love Matthew 25 that verifies that. In Matthew 25, you have Jesus talking about sheep and goats. And he talks about this eternal punishment. Very important phrase in there. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Not you. He didn't make it for you. You're supposed to be appointed to life. God didn't appoint us to wrath. But to obtain salvation. That's what this is all about. Everything is about God forgiving sins and freeing you. So that you can enjoy life. So that you can be with him. That you can enjoy eternity. God did not destine us for wrath. He did not appoint eternal punishment because he's just that kind of guy and is looking forward to see how many people he can trip up and throw in there. That's not the point. But do we judge ourselves unworthy of that eternal life and thus end up with that consequence? I hope that gives you an important perspective of what God's trying to do. God wants you with him. God is forgiving all people and has not destined you to wrath, but has appointed you to eternal life. But if we look at his offer and say it's too fantastic, it's too amazing, it can't be right then we judge ourselves unworthy of eternal life. And if we look at what God says and we say, yeah, I know what he said, but I can bend that a little bit. I've got a better straight line without the ruler. We judge ourselves unworthy of eternal life. God's goal for you is life with him. 
That's what it's all about. It's all about you being able to enjoy life with him. And these messages of the Apostle Paul are trying to confirm that. And if we don't believe it, I'll use the very first picture. We're blind. We're not seen properly. We're up close on the picture frame and we think it looks straight. And God's begging you to take a step back and look at it rightly and see that it's God's ways for life, God's ways for freedom, God's ways for forgiveness, God's ways for eternal life with him. Our ways lead us to blindness and death. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is, it is hard to grasp. It is so hard for us to grasp how deeply you love us. And it truly feels, Lord, that what you have offered us is unbelievable. How could it be possible for people like us who destroy our lives and reject you repeatedly to be forgiven, to be set free and enjoy eternal life. And yet, Lord, that's what you continually remind us that that's what you've come to do. So, Lord, give us the hearts to believe. Help us to believe what you are offering. Something far more majestic and glorious and valuable than a million dollars or anything that could be offered in this life. Truly a treasure of great price. And Lord, forgive us for the times where we have looked at the lines that we have drawn in our lives and declared them to be straight. Forgive us for the times that we have ignored your ways and have not looked to your straight paths. Forgive us for when we have taken your straight paths and made them crooked. Forgive us for all the times we try to justify our our lives and justify our decisions. And Lord, we pray that you would give us submissive hearts, that we would bow the knee to your ways. Help us to truly understand that your ways are best. And Lord, please let us enjoy the forgiveness and freedom that you are offering through your son. Thank you, Lord, for appointing us to eternal life, appointing us to something that we surely do not deserve. We know that we ought to receive wrath and condemnation. Lord, we praise your love and mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we long for the days when we will be able to be with you for eternity, for that to which you have appointed each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So final question then to you. You are appointed to eternal life. Can you believe it? Will you judge yourself worthy to receive what God is offering you through his son? Or will you try to keep bending the ruler? Bend your life to his ways and be set free. Bend your life to his ways and you will be set free. Can we help you in any way this morning do that? Turn away from your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come and do that now?
what we stand and what we say.